Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, the Build Back Better Act returns, a recession watch grips the media, and what to expect from the June jobs report and CPI data. Joining the podcast uh, is AAF's Douglas holtz Doug, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Kyle. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. How have you been? Cannot complain. Uh, took a little bit of a vacation. Also went down to Florida for my mother's 90th birthday. So, you know, have, having a good summer. That sounds like fun. Uh, my vacation is in uh, a week from tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I know you probably not. So I'm not going to say... <laughs> All right, let's jump into things um, and start with uh, let's start with Congress um, and the Build Back Better Act. Um, we have heard whispers that the BBA, uh, BBBA, sorry, the long list of letters there uh, might be back with Senate Democrats closing in on a deal with Senator Joe Manchin. Um, what's likely to come out of this latest round of discussions? Well, who knows? But here's what I can tell you. First of all, they're now calling it Build Back Mansion, so that sort of explains where they are in this process. Um, uh, uh, Senator Schumer, the majority leader, has uh, sent to the Senate parliamentarian the section on uh, prescription drug price um, negotiations to get the approval that it be uh, done in reconciliation. So recall long ago and far away, everyone became an expert on reconciliation, which is a, a, a feature of the Budget Act that created the CBO and the budget process and which is intended to use for budgetary purposes only, raise or lower revenue and spending, and not for new policymaking. And so this would reduce Medicare drug spending, but it would also be, at some level, new policy. It's in the negotiation by this, the Secretary of HHS and include uh, tax. And, and so they got to get clearance that this is okay to go forward in reconciliation. And, and they've done that with that section. Now, that section has never been contentious. Everybody on the on the Democratic side, supports that. Manchin's always been in favor of it. And so that's the easy stuff. Uh, I think they sent it to make the appearance of making progress. And so they've done that. Now they've got the tough stuff. They've got uh, what will be the spending and, uh, and how will they raise the revenue to cover that spending and do some deficit reduction. Because Manchin's ask is that they do about a trillion dollars in taxes and 500 billion in spending deficit reduction of 500 billion. Um, they are advertising that as anti-inflation policy. So, you know, that's that's how they're getting this all together. Um, so far, you hear lots of things being in or out, but you don't hear we've got a deal. And so it's not dead yet. There's a lot of pressure to pass something before the election. Um, I hear smart people say it'll, it won't make it. I hear some of the smart people say, I, I can't imagine they don't get something done I'm in wait and see. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, uh, uh, Leader McConnell has said, if you go ahead with this reconciliation, there is no way we're going to do the so-called USICA Competes Act, which is the, the big uh, chip, uh, semiconductor chip subsidy plus anti-China legislation. And so he's threatening the, the thing that is most dear to Schumer. This has been his baby all along uh, if they go forward. So uh, a little bit of uh, legislative uh, chicken being played, you know, sort of procedurally and um, some 
remaining substantive disagreements on the Democratic side. And so hardly a guarantee that something happens. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of uh, legislative maneuvering going on with this yes. right now. Let's talk about you know the one specific that we do know, what, and you mentioned, which is the drug pricing uh, part of this, the, le- the drug pricing uh, legislation. Um, you mentioned Senate Majority Leader Schumer has already sent that language to the Senate parliamentarian, and that proposal would allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices, essentially. Uh, what do you make of this proposal? What would be the likely impact of it? I'm not a fan. Uh... So CBO from the beginning, when I was the director in 2003, and we, we uh, were scoring the Medicare Modernization Act that created the, the Part D prescription drug program, uh, the position has always been that negotiation by the secretary would not uh, appreciably reduce drug prices. And the reason was uh, you have to have some lever to cut a deal, right? If you're a, a private prescription drug plan, you get to say, I've got you know a million and a half beneficiaries signed up for various plans, and if you give me a good deal, I will put your drug in the first tier where there's no copay. Um, if you don't give me a good deal, you're going to be in the third tier where they're paying 50%. There'll be a lot less take up if they have to pay 50%. And so you can use that leverage to get to get a better deal. It's there is no national formulary, and so the secretary can't say we're not going to um, put you in the first tier. They don't. The secretary doesn't have any leverage. So the, the the basic issue has always been what lever could the secretary pull to genuinely negotiate a good deal as opposed to just having price fixing by the government. So what they've invented is the secretary goes to the, uh, the manufacturer of the drug and says, I want to negotiate the price of this thing. And if the secretary determines that the manufacturer is not negotiating good faith, so judge and jury, um, they can levy up to a 90% tax on domestic sales of that drug. So essentially drive it out of the market. That's a pretty big lever. And so I don't think of that as negotiation. That's, uh, you know, sort of having the secretary tell you the, the, the price at the point of a gun. And, and indeed, the, the legislation says we're going to start at a price, which is at about 60% of the average in the rest of the world. And we're going to go down from there. So there is a huge element of price fixing here. I think this is a bad policy. Uh, B, potentially threatens a lot of innovation because uh, who, who do you negotiate with? They're the expensive drugs, which are the new and um, most innovative drugs. And so I, I think this is basically a, a, the character of this is, is a bad, it's bad policy. What they've done in the most recent iteration is they've sort of pushed back the bad news. Like you don't start negotiating until a year later in this particular version, things like that to try to make it more palatable to those who are concerned but it doesn't change the basic character very much. To me, uh, it doesn't seem that surprising that dr- that drug prices is the first thing that they're trying to move on. I know this has been an issue that they've talked about for a while, and I think they came close to doing something with the with the I think Wyden and Grassley proposal or something of that nature. So this has been you know something they've definitely wanted to to get done for a while. It seems like absolutely, and I think the the troubling part for me is that there is. In H.R. 3, which is the Democrats' signature bill, in H.R. 19, which is the House Republicans' signature bill, uh, in the Trump administration's budget, in the Wyden-Grassley agreement that you you talked about, all of them contain a redesign of the Part D program designed to uh, heighten the incentives for private sector bargaining. So let's find a way to, to really put the pressure on manufacturers and drug places and negotiate low prices. So there's some things in there that both sides agree are the right way to go. Why not do that? 
Instead, they've, they've chosen the most partisan and contentious route to take. So, sounds about right. So, uh, with you know, continuing to talk about the BBBBA here, um, you know, AAF commissioned a study looking at the potential impacts of the bill. What were the results of that study, and how might the results change based on what comes out of the possible deal here? So the AAF's interest in this goes back to the campaign when um, you know there was a very big proposal. Three trillions in, in taxes and uh, the promise that it would be spent on uh, all these amazing things and and there was regularly this discussion where I would say to uh, uh, economists on the other side of the aisle, well, we can agree these taxes are a bad idea, and they'd say, yeah, yeah, that, but we're going to spend it on stuff that's so good, we'll be better off. And so we commissioned a study before the the administration took office that just said, okay, go raise the revenue, spend it all on the most productive. Uh, uh, investments that the literature can identify and tell me if it's a break-even proposition. And this was done by some folks down at Rice University. We kept our finger off the scale and let them just read the literature and decided what the impacts would be. And what they concluded was it was a negative, right? That the, the bad news from raising taxes slowed growth more than really productive investments. Since then, um, the, the sort of objectives have shifted. The scale has come down to about a trillion dollars in taxes. The there might be some deficit reduction. There's no guarantee now that the money's going to anything remotely like the most productive investments. So that side of it's different. So we went back to the same folks and said, okay, let's try it this way. Let's have um, a trillion dollars in taxes and a trillion dollars of spending, no guarantee that it's uh, productive, or a trillion dollars in taxes, 500 billion in spending, some deficit reduction. Any of those a good idea? Short answer, no. Uh, they're They're not dramatically big. They don't engender an enormous recession right away, but they're bad news for the economy. And um, I think there's very little justification for pursuing this at all. Thanks for breaking that down for us. But uh, on the topic of the economy, let's turn to that. Uh, talk of recession has dominated the headlines, and many economists are uh, discussing the possibility of an economic recession in the near future. Um, last time we spoke, you did not see a recession in the near future. As you're thinking on this change, Naval, Yes, it's changed, but I'm I still, you know, I've been asked point blank on TV, for example, are we in a recession? And I, I can't say yes. I mean, that's I, I still think that uh, the data are weakening on some fronts, but they're supposed to. The Fed's intent is for those uh data to weaken. And that it, it's not enough to to sort of seal the deal that somehow we're having a, a recession. Roughly it goes like this. If you look at the the market for goods and services, so we see that uh Disposable personal income uh, in real terms, just for inflation, has declined for three straight uh, months. Uh, in spending last month for the first time declined in real terms, so household spending weakened. So the demand side looks like it's weakening, no question about it. Um, there is some evidence that, that all the excess savings from the stimulus bills stuff has sort of been spent. And so there's reason to believe that the demand is weakening out there. And, and so if you're staring only at the goods market, looking at earnings reports from firms and things like that, you think, well, this this could be, be bad. Flip the page over to the labor market, and you see no evidence of a recession. We're, we're, we're going to get a jobs report on Friday, and I expect another 200, 250,000 jobs. Demand for labor is quite strong. So if you look at the, the growth of payrolls, the combination of employees, hours that they work, and how much you pay them per hour, that's growing at nearly a 10% annual rate. That's very strong labor market. So those two don't line up at all. To have a 
a recession sort of by definition, you have to have a broad-based decline in economic activity. We might have a decline in some measures of economic activity, but we don't have a broad-based decline. So it's not a recession. Uh, that's my my basic bottom line. That's not going to stop the chatter. Um, you know, we, we'll see we'll see in the coming weeks what happens. The one thing I, I do know is that the Fed is not taking any of this chatter uh, seriously enough to change their course. They they are locked in to continue to raise rates. Um, they had a Yesterday, they released the minutes of the meeting where they raised rates by 75 basis points. And the real news in those minutes is they came to the conclusion that they had to move rates to a restrictive place. They used to be aiming to get to neutral. So they, they, they really want to raise rates enough to slow things down. And they felt it was uh, their obligation to raise rates under their mandate for full employment price stability. Like they, they really... Um, we're out of compliance because inflation expectations were high and that hurts the employment outlook. So, so they did it. Um, there was one dissent and the, the dissent captures the, the difficulty of the Fed's in perfectly. Um, the Fed came into the meeting expecting, having told everyone they're going to raise by 50, they may move by 75. So do you interpret that as the Fed doesn't know what they're doing? Or do you interpret that as the Fed recognized the threat of inflation and reacted appropriately? The dissent says, we told people 50 and then we did 75. We're creating uncertainty about the outlook. We have to be uh, disciplined in our messaging and our actions to, to follow through appropriately. So that that's that that's the debate inside the Fed. But no one's debating whether they have an inflation problem, they got to move. One other thing on the economy that I, I noticed earlier this week, there was a report, I think, in the Wall Street Journal about a reduction in raw materials. Oil dropped below $100 a barrel, um, I think, yesterday. Is this a sign of better things to come? Could be. Um, you know, these prices are notoriously volatile, so they bounce up and down, and they could bounce back up. Most people interpret the decline in oil as a diminished demand for oil, and that's a slowing global economy. I think that's probably right to some extent. Um, but it's going to take a lot of good news to to fix the inflation problem. The the, the way this mechanically works is sure, oil bounces up, but Energy is only 8% of the CPI, and so the direct impact isn't very great. It's the fact that it feeds into so many other things, oils and fertilizers and you know the transportation and all, and all of the, the cost of goods and services. For it to drop, it has to go down a lot and stay down and feed through the whole system to take the inflation pressure out. We're not, we're not there yet. We already talked about how the Fed uh, continues to be aggressive in words and actions to address inflation um, on the demand side. What about the supply side of the economy? What tools do policymakers, the Fed, Congress, the White House, have to boost the supply of goods and services in the economy? Is it tariffs? Is it something else? They don't have great tools, right, to expand the supply side. They can, you know, they can affect the costs of production and, and distribution of goods and services. So. Tariffs are one piece. Uh, a lot of tariffs on inputs, and you know we've got them on, on aluminum and steel. We've got all the China tariffs. You know we've got uh, an array, and there's an open debate uh, within the administration about getting rid of some of those tariffs to ease the pressure on on prices, and that'd be a good idea. Uh, the Biden administration has uh, an enormously expensive regulatory agenda and, and closed the books on the first year with a, uh, the highest number in terms of regulatory costs that we've set, ever seen in our tracking, over $200 billion in one year, they might want to consider easing up a little bit. That's, that makes 
every small business uh, struggle to, to sort of meet those regulatory requirements. It's expensive. That shows up in consumer prices. No way around it. Um, but I don't hear any discussion that, uh, coming out of the administration. So we, we shall see. Interesting. Finally, uh, you already mentioned the jobs report. The June jobs report comes out on Friday. Next Thursday, we'll get the latest CPI report. What do you think we'll see in these reports? I think the the real issue in the jobs report is not the top line. We'll see some job creation. Uh, it'll go down compared to, to months past. It was expected. To. What we've seen for a while now is this huge mismatch between the demand, the, the payroll growth that I mentioned, and the supply, uh, the sort of fraction of the population that's in the labor force or looking for work. Um, I expect to see that narrow some. I expect to see the demand for labor come down uh, some. I expect the the labor supply to to sort of look closer to that, and that would show a labor market that's not as overheated as it was in the past. So that's what I'm looking for there. Uh, the CPI next week, um, hard to say what the top line will be because that's driven a lot by food and energy and a bit volatile core uh, CPI. Um, I expect this to sort of come down some, which we, I think we've probably seen a peak in that. But the one I, I always focus on, as you know, is the housing component, the shelter inflation. We have yet to see that peak. It has always risen since January of 2021. I'm looking to see if, if that turns the other way, because that's a really good indicator of the domestic inflation problem. There are no supply chains for apartments that, you know, you know, your apartment is where it is, Kyle. And, um, you know, you don't have to ship it every month. Uh, it, it really is a reflection of the overheating in the U.S. economy. When, when we start to see that shelter inflation go down, we'll have turned the corner and are making progress toward hitting the 2% target. Yeah, well, I'm certainly hoping that the housing number starts coming down for my own personal needs. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you for joining us today and breaking down all these issues. Um, hopefully, we'll see you soon. I uh, hope to do so. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.